0: when you can give up the preference that's what I was saying before of your individuality and what you think you want and what you think you need and what you think should happen which we all do as human beings and what you think at all, right? If you can somehow realize that that is limited, it's a loop you know, you've just been We've all been just trained to be that person who thinks those things and who has those fears and who stops at that place where the person stops. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: where the person stops, that power begins. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And even where the person is, that power is throughout. Mm -hmm. So sadhana is the ability to recognize and surrender to that power. Welcome
2: to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. I'm excited to be here with you. Episode one. Yay. So cool. And share this brilliant conversation as an insightful stepping off point into our discovery of living sadhana. My first guest is a dear friend and teacher of my own. She is a dedicated yogi and devoted sadhak with a totally beautiful and inspiring story to share. And I am extra delighted because this special guest was one of the inspirations for this whole podcast happening. So it is my total joy to introduce Heidi Groschler, or Herdaya as she's more commonly known, Hardaya has been meditating since a very early age and has dedicated her life to freedom and self-knowledge, spending most of it in the Himalayas of India, studying with a self-realized master, who she very lovingly calls Swamiji. For over 30 years, she has been extensively teaching and practicing the science of meditation and its philosophy. Herdaya is a master in her own right, imbibing the spirit of pure, blissful, and timeless wisdom of self-awareness, which she offers to her dedicated students, along with her sweet and profound devotional music, which we will luckily get to hear some today. Her talent for translating complex truths from Vedic scriptures into contemporary wisdom is what has made her a successful teacher and previously the owner of the Here and Now Meditation Center in Vancouver. But now let's get into this conversation centered around Herdaya's commitment to her own sadhana, her spiritual transformation, and the grace which has flowed with it, along with some powerful takeaways for all of us curious yogis. Welcome to episode one, (laughs) Heidi and Herdaya, I'm so excited to have you here, so welcome.
0: Thank you, I'm so honored to be here. Yeah, it's really,
2: uh, it's great, you inspired this show partially because I, you're a teacher of my own, so when I was listening to your teachings, to your recordings, I was so inspired to have you on the show, to share with others what you offered just to me, and I know you've offered so much to other students, so it's going to be great to share your story. So that is your on-the-paper introduction, so why don't you tell me, Herdaya, who are you in your own words, in your, you know, you have the accolades, you had your center in Vancouver for seven years, which we can touch on, but who are you in your own words?
0: (laughs) That's a big question. That's the question that everyone should ask is, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I mean, it. I would start with what my own teacher always gives as an answer to that, which is, I am I. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's just a short answer and doesn't give you any um, story, so... You'd like a little bit of my story.
2: Yeah, like where does your story begin? I know you you said you've been meditating or interested in the space since you were little. So really, like, what is the story that led you here? Yeah,
0: so um, I was born in Montreal uh, in Canada. And um, I was a very uh, curious and inquisitive child. Um, and I was not happy with a lot of the answers that I was getting, um, and I remember looking at adults, and none of them looked happy, and I was thinking to myself, I so feel so much happier than them, and I'm going to have to be like that. So there's a, a neat story, actually, that kind of defines things, and that's, I have this memory when I was eight years old, And I was walking on the street, and I used to talk out loud to myself, and so I was standing on the corner, and I just had this sense I'm going to have to grow up, and it's going to mean that I'm going to have to leave this innocent, happy, kind of knowing space of my childhood. And I made a promise to my eight-year-old self out loud on that street corner, Mm. and I said, Now I'm going to have to grow up, but I promise you that I will never leave you behind. Wow. And it's funny that I remember that moment. Mm -hmm. So I think I can safely say that everything from that moment on was in fulfillment of that promise that I made to myself when I was eight years old. So I couldn't compromise, I couldn't settle for a lot of what I was being told reality was, life was, what I was supposed to do. Um, It just wasn't sitting well with me and I was becoming less and less happy. Um, Eventually I got accepted to an international school on Vancouver Island called Pearson College. And so I left Montreal and went there. I was very passionate about their ideals all harmony and international harmony and the world was going to live together as one and I was going to be one of the main people that was going to make it happen and you know I was how old was I at that point but I should back up a bit because when I was 15 some people invited me down the street from me to meditate and I had I didn't know what that was I was just 15 but I was curious as I said so I went and um They gave me two instructions. It was a group of, you know, adults, and I was a kid. They said, "Um, keep your eyes open and try not to think. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat there for all that time. Um, I never went back, but I would sit alone in my room at night when all my family had gone to sleep and it was very quiet. I used to be up at night, and I'd write poetry and just be with myself, and I'd find myself sitting and closing my eyes in meditation. I had no idea what I was doing, but there was something about it that felt like this is what I should do. So, as I said shortly after that, um, though I met somebody who had um, friends in Montreal who lived in a meditation center and who were associated with the place where I now live, but little did I know any of that at that time. So I got more instruction in meditation and then left on my merry way to go to Pearson College, where I spent two mind-blowing, mind-expanding, wonderful years meeting all sorts of amazing people and dedicated to changing the world. And um, I left somewhat disillusioned with a lot of what I had held as being so idealistically true. And at that point I was 19 and wondering what I was going to do with the rest of my life. So I took a year off and I went um, at first to live in Israel, uh, where my father had grown up. And I spent four months there thinking I was going to spend much longer. And um, a series of different things happened, just like a kind of acceleration of consciousness it felt like I mean when I look back I didn't even know those words at that time really but I could tell that my life was meant to be spiritual Wow. I just knew it and I started feeling pulled like called mm-hmm. so I looked I thought well what will I do so I checked out the Baha'i faith which I was very interested in because it was so in tune with my school and all that kind of international stuff and um, I checked out my own faith Judaism and asked questions and went and stayed at a place where they did deeper studies and I got very very connected to Christianity because I was in Israel and had the sense of Christ being a person like me who lived A state of consciousness that nobody else lived, and I felt like I'd missed out on something. Anyway, within four months I found myself back in Montreal, where I never thought I would find myself again, living with my family, which I never thought I would do again, and going to this meditation center. And the next thing I knew, I had moved out of my family's house, I had moved into that center, Um, and I was very, my life became um, about meditation, yoga um, and sadhana and in the meantime I started writing to um, my teacher who that center was affiliated with him here in India Um, and And I'll just say one thing. My very first communication with him, I sent him a tape. In those days, we sent cassette tapes, right? So I sent him a cassette tape. And my big question was based on my experience at that international school and my ideals. And I said to him, if I do this life of meditation, aren't I being selfish? I'm not helping the world, and that's what I really thought I wanted to do. And I'll never forget his answer to me. He sent me back a tape message, so I got um, his voice and his answer, and he said, the only way, he said, for millions of years, the world has never changed, he said, the only way, that the world has ever changed is when an individual changed themselves. He said, like Buddha, like Krishna, like Ram, like Jesus. He said, so you be that. So I had my work cut out for me. Wow. And that was, you know, way back Mm -hmm. when. Um, And much of what he said to me at that time, you know, makes so much more sense to me now as I'm more mature and I can really understand some of the deeper meaning of it. So um, that's how I got sort of onto this path and then eventually um, came to India, stayed here for a year, um, here because that's where we're doing this interview, mm-hmm. so.
2: Yes, I should have said that, that we're We're here in northern
0: in India <laughs> in my home. Yes, beautiful. <laughs> so, um, I, so at that point I was... 22 and this was all I wanted to do I was a very 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 spaced out kind of person so I didn't really fit in the world and I wasn't very good or interested you know in sort of or ambitious to do much Um, so this seemed perfect for me so I stayed for a year and at the end of that year which was just fantastic I felt like so at home here in India and Swamiji my teacher said to me now you go back and you go to school and you get a career that was the last thing I wanted to hear and especially the career part I could have maybe gone to university and you know I could have done an intellectual thing that I was good at but he wanted me this he had a plan that I was supposed to learn how to be in the world. Little did I know. So I went back to Montreal, again lived with my parents, and at that point my mother had started meditating um, and taking classes, and so I turned my room into a meditation room, and I used to spend a lot of time with her meditating. I went to university. I did get a degree. I kept wanting to come back and Swamiji just kept saying to me, no, you stay, you make money, you learn about the world. So six and a half years later, it finally, I had amassed enough money and everything that needed to happen had happened. And I returned to India with both my parents. So by then my mother had been here in India, she'd come several times for a visit, um, and my father had now started meditating because he thought if he didn't, he was going to lose his family. No. So he'd better get connected. And he did, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so that was it. Then they they stayed for five weeks, and I ended up staying for fifteen years, which is a lot longer than I had thought. Um, and of course, so much happened in those. 15 years in my sadhana, um, in my work with Swamiji, in my meditation, and, um, at the end of those 15 years, not that I ever thought there was going to be an end, came the next, um, announcement from Swamiji that it was time to go back and, again, learn, earn money, um, and get some finances together and become strong in the world. So at this point, I was in my 40s and um, I had no idea what I was gonna do. I didn't really know that I was gonna teach. So I went back and I tried this and I tried that, looked into what I had done before, but really the only, and I needed to stay connected to this knowledge. So really the only thing that shone brightly for me was to speak what I had come to know and see if people wanted to hear. And I guess the rest is history. There was it was seven years there with two trips back to India in between. A lot of guidance um, and a lot of transformation, which has so much uh, been the topic. So, yeah.
2: Wow! <laughs> great, That's great. Sort of a
0: a tale. Uh,
2: from here then to now, yeah. which actually kind of made me think of the name of your center, which I love the story of the name, what Swamiji told you to name your center, and maybe you could speak to that a little bit.
0: Sure. So, um, so I was in Vancouver, and um, previously I had lived with my family, and then I had lived with some fellow meditators, and everyone... Left and I and uh, I found my own place, and so I asked Swamiji if he could name my center, thinking that I didn't know what I thought he was going to name it. But I got. The, he said, "Yes, you can name your center here and now." So I laughed because I thought, "This isn't the name of a center." He's telling me, "This is your Sadhna. You be here and now, and don't think about the future. Just." right now. So that was, that became the name of my center. Mm. Yeah.
2: And that's so interesting that you, I don't know if at the time did you have the revelation that he's giving me the name for the center, but it's also the point of my sadhana. Yeah. Did you have that Yeah, I did. Yeah. And, and I know you've expressed to me before, but that, was also something that helped you stay grounded during those times because I can imagine it wasn't easy to go from living in India for 15 years and just wanting to be in India and then having to go because you know, you've been told by your teacher this is your path yeah, and to how to sort of reconcile that, you know, like we want to you want to be somewhere else but you're
0: yeah, you're yeah. not
2: where you want to
0: be yeah, that was um that's exactly right, and that was a big point of growth for me. Um, was that I I never it was never my preference. So and he knew that. Um, let me put it differently. It was never the preference of my mind,
1: mm.
0: but unbeknownst to me, it was the preference of my higher being. He knew that I didn't. I couldn't know it at the time. Um but I had total trust in him. he'd been guiding me since I was young and all of it I knew was for um, my expansion and my realization. so I had total trust and that's why I went and did that which even which I didn't want to do with my mind so you know they in the spiritual path that's called tapas, right when you have to do that which is against your preference. um, It builds spiritual strength. So a lot happened to me because of that, because I, I wasn't there out of my own personal ambition. I wasn't there because I wanted to be a teacher. I wasn't there because I even wanted to make money. Like, I didn't really want, as a person, any of the things that I had been sent to do. So that evolved. A deep surrender and trust. And as the years passed, I started to see what he had seen for me. And, you know, just to fast forward to today, I mean, I touch his feet in gratitude every single day. Like, I thank him. I guess that's a better way <laughs> of saying it. But I, I just feel so grateful every single day for the transformation that happened for me. I went from being, you know, a very, very spaced out person who was not integrated, you know, whole. Like you teach yoga, so you know all that about everything's supposed to be not divided, and there was a big division in me, and that was creating a weakness. That The division between as if the space is somewhere else and the world is something else, and i didn 't want to go towards the world, so he sent me right there to that thing that i didn 't want to do and let me see and realize my strength and my power and my freedom um, and my expansion and i 've never been the same
2: wow, and when we think of you know someone that 's perhaps coming onto a spiritual path, and there 's this sense of You know that the only place real transformation or spiritual growth could happen in, say, a place like an ashram in India, at the feet of a realized being. Yeah. But somehow your experience brought you to the feet of the realized being. Yeah. But then you you sensed or had the most expanded experience when, you know, you were still doing the work of the guru, of your teacher, but yet it wasn't in that ideal scenario where one would place. You yeah. know the the Buddha or the Christ or where that that yeah. kind of depth of work would happen, yeah. which is pretty blown.
0: Yeah, and that I mean that touches on such an important point because when you're on the spiritual path, what you have to work with is your mind. That's what you are as a human being, and your mind makes concepts. So it and if you're on the spiritual path, it makes spiritual concepts, mm-hmm. and you think those spiritual concepts. Are correct. We don't really question them because they're spiritual, so they must be right. So, you know, as you evolve and move on whatever your own path is, those spiritual concepts start to get challenged. So not just your concepts about the world, not just your concepts about your relations, not just your concepts about who you thought you were in the world or what you thought was supposed to be, But even your ideas about the space, about meditation, about your practice, about what you're supposed to attain, even the idea of attainment, all of it gets thrown up to question and examination and needs to be.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to ask you one thing, too. I know you kind of expressed or... uh, view of yourself when you were younger as spaced out and you know sort of divided and not really into much but I want to ask you when was it in your growth that you because I myself have heard you recite and sing from Patanjali and Bhagavad Gita from memories speaking Sanskrit you can write it you can read it like you you know you've gone also down the intellectual path like was that in those 15 years or was that when you went back to Vancouver or was it just like when, how did you get t- turned on, also to the scriptures and the study aspect of right. your spiritual path?
0: Yes, um, always. I mean, I was a good, I was a good student because actually that became a bit of my escape from the world. I could go into my intellect and study, and so and be organized and all of that. So my my brain worked pretty well. Um, and so I found myself thirsty for this knowledge. Mm. Um, and because, you know, over the years, um, I just took classes, studied, and spent a lot of time. I mean, there were, there were years where I sang a lot of Sanskrit. Like, I just sang Sanskrit stotrams for hours a day. And also because I could feel, you know, Sanskrit is such a, a transformational... Sound, and it transforms the consciousness of the singer and the listener. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'll make this my practice. So for a number of years, I just sang a lot of Sanskrit and watched my waking state mind dissolve through the sound. Um, The singing part I had from always, I can't think of it when I never sang, you know, didn't sing, I guess I came with that so i always sang um and and was into music i played violin when i was a kid and then switched to guitar so that i could sing my own songs cuz i used to write poetry and songs so yes it all went together
2: well it's beautiful and we'll be lucky to hear you sing in a little <laughs> bit sure Um, So going back to your, get back to Vancouver after your 15 years in India, and then you speaking that sort of a sense of transformation started to evolve within you, like can you give some examples of times or experiences where you were in the world as if, and you were feeling that tapasya, you're feeling that friction of the world, but somehow you were t- turned on to your practice. Like, what was the practice? What was the experience of going through those transformational years? I mean, you know, seven years is a long time, but... Yeah.
0: Um, well, yeah, it went through various stages. But um, I think the most amazing thing for me was when I first started to teach, and I really didn't know how it was going to go. Like I thought, look, I've spent 15 years in India. You know, is anybody going to want to hear this? And I just remember that sense of sitting in front of some people and starting to speak and watching what happened. The kind of magic that happens in the room, the look on people's faces when they're hearing The truth of their own self like it's them that they're hearing about and the words that were coming out of my mouth and the sense of a greater presence and every single time that would happen and I would realize that um, I was becoming more and more doubtless Mm. on the seat so I had you know every time I sat and spoke the knowledge that I knew that came from a doubtless space but you know there's all the planning that goes on whether people are going to come maybe that day you're not in a good mood you know maybe you're feeling sad maybe you're missing India you know those spaces would be there as a human being and then I I would always have to put that aside and sit on the seat and make that the most important thing, and so that transformed me. I, I came to see that whatever I thought was so important about my human being, my moods, my you know, my desires, my wishes, my longings, my not wanting to do it sometimes, right? Every single time I would sit and teach, all of that would dissolve. So it was sort of like a miracle each time so that was one thing i'm trying to think if there's i mean it was to me it was all like a wonder you Mm -hmm. know because i didn't i never expected it Mm -hmm. so i was just there sort of hoping and praying that the next thing would work and hoping and praying that the next thing would work and it kept and i still often Mm -hmm. feel like that even though it's now this month is 20 years since my guru sent me to canada so, and I still feel like this wonder each time, mm-hmm. which is kind of the space of the self. It's mm-hmm. a kind of a wonder. So I don't know whether that answers your question, yeah, no, but... it, it definitely okay. did. And, oh, good.
2: And I'm he- what I'm hearing you say is that the teaching itself has become a part of this of your sadhana, or at least it was then. Always has
0: been my sadhana.
2: And it, yeah. it's so beautiful that it's something you never even saw for yourself, that... Then you, but when you step into that role and like hearing that as a newer yoga teacher, it's quite inspiring because there is um, the trepidation and the nerves and the things totally. like, is this where I'm supposed to be? And and to hear you say that is very reassuring. But do you think that, you know, the, each time as you come now to teach and to express in front of people... It becomes more refined. You know, I've heard you speak so beautifully, so many, and you're so well-spoken.
0: Oh, thank you. So,
2: that transformation, is it ongoing, or how does that, does it expand, you know? From, if you look back to that first class, I'm sure you can remember sitting in front of people in Vancouver, and then to now, how you sit in front of
0: people. (laughs) You know what I remember is that I was so unsure, you know, so I, I had notes, like i'll do first, I'll talk about this, and then I'll you know like class mm-hmm. notes, right, so then I'll sing this song, and then i'll then we'll meditate for this long, and then so I had it all kind of structured out with my mind, right, and i would and I had those notes, and I had things that I would read, and I had it all kind of laid out so that I could refer to all of that and um as the years passed. I, I mean, I just didn't have notes. I just found myself relying on that space and trusting in that space. I mean, I always have some sense of an idea of what I might want to talk about or something that I might read or, you know, but then it's like it just happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so there's, a, there's more fluidity, more faith, much more faith in that space that it will come through. Mm-hmm. And um and it does every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Beautiful. Yeah. And then so you had those seven years in Vancouver and then I know you did come back to India to visit once or twice, but when you <laughs> what was the moment where you knew or you were guided to come back to India and how was how was it different seven years later knowing yeah. okay, I am going back? You, yeah. How did it was it different than before?
0: Yeah. Uh, it wasn't me who decided so this is a good story so I now I had been there for about six years and um, I was coming for my second visit and now I mean I had gained momentum and I was earning a little bit more money and I was had my center and I was integrated there and I and I had stopped thinking that I was gonna live here ever again in in India, hear me mean, meaning India. So I'd given it all up. That's what had happened for me. I was here and now, <laughs> right? I was, wherever I was, I was just fine to be there. So I thought, and look, now I can, I have enough money and my teaching is such that I thought now I can come every year and take a visit to India and my community and spend a few months and then go back and teach. And so... I had it all figured out that now I could do that and I was thrilled with that idea because it just never even occurred to me that at this point that I was going to come back to live. And so I came for my visit and about maybe one month into my three month visit or one and a half months into my three and a half month visit, my teacher said to me, it's over. (laughs) now you come back (laughs) he said it's it's time it's done so now now what was fascinating to me was that i had developed new attachments over there i was attached to my family and my teaching and my students how was i going to tell them plus he'd made me so conscious of money right and i had to learn how to make money and so now i finally was you know earning money what was i going to do when i came back here i wasn't going to have all of that so i had all this whole new set of things to be worried about or concerned about when he told me to come back which was the thing that i had wanted so much mm-hmm. <laughs> so it um i left not knowing how it was going to happen um And he was very strong like on the day that I left he was very strong and he just said you just get back here so I went back I told my family I waited to tell my students for quite a while Um, I finally told them they were amazing Um, and then I started having to Think about selling everything in my apartment that I had gathered and giving up, giving everything back. It was like it was all going, it was all going back out, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was the moment that I knew I was coming back. Um, It wasn't easy, you know, to leave because I had done a good job of being there. That's Mm -hmm. what I had been sent to do, and I had really done it Mm -hmm. um and i was fine to be there if i had to stay Mm -hmm. so um i had become very close to my nieces and nephews who were very little at that time and so that was hard you know so it was all kind of giving up whatever i had my new sort of attachments yeah what
2: an expose on human nature right Right.
0: and um Mm -hmm. and then um so this is also an amazing story, is that at a certain point, I finally bought my ticket and told my students. And that same week, I got a letter, unsolicited, from my teacher, saying, with all sorts of challenges, about maybe I should reconsider.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Taking Check- you for a- Testing me, yeah, right? Yeah. Checking
0: to see... And making sure that it was my decision, right? Um, also, I had been spending so much time with my parents who were getting older, and it would you know, seem very logical that I would stay and take care of them. Um, so he said, I'm sending a copy of this letter to your parents. Oh, wow. So my parents read this letter, and within 24 hours, they had both written him amazing letters, you know, telling him why it was the right thing for me to come back to India. So, um, and I had written him the same. So he had checked to make sure that everybody was good, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and then I left to come back to India. And when I arrived, each each time I would arrive, I felt... Swamiji, meet me exactly where I had grown into and speak to me there. And so it was no different when I came back this time. Um, and what had changed was that I was no longer that spaced out person. I was capable, you know, everything that was supposed to happen had happened Mm -hmm. so I was capable I was integrated you know I knew my power and my energy and my ability um, and now I was going to see how it all worked here so and I'm still here
2: (laughs) so would you say is this now the experience of the grace portion of your story you know you've got like when we're hearing you express you had this transformational that's here and there here and now rather and I know when you expressed before there's a strong element of grace that you have the sense of with your sadhana and your time in India and just your whole life and could you speak to that
0: I I, for me I feel that they go together the transformation and the grace But grace, I always think of as, you know, that which you can't do with your own mind and efforts as hard as you try. And then there's that which is holding you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I'll tell you a beautiful story, and this sort of indicates the grace. When I came to visit, My second time, I had sent, at some point while I was away, I had sent Swamiji a pair of cashmere gloves. He used to like to wear these gloves. And so he took us on a trip, and I walked into the room where we were going to have our meeting, and he was wearing the gloves that I had sent him. And I couldn't help myself, and I just said, Swamiji, I see you're wearing the gloves. That I sent you. Without missing a beat, he said, yes. And when I wear them, I remember that you are in my hands.
2: <laughs> oh, that's beautiful.
0: So that image of being in the hands of that power
1: mm.
0: has sustained me through everything. And that's been the grace, because the stuff that I didn't know, the stuff that Scared the living daylights out of me, you know, the stuff that made me not know what to do next, the stuff that made me feel like I'm never going to move forward, the stuff that made me feel like what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And then it would always work. And I wish I knew that then. I would have been saved of so much worry and concern and fear if I had just always known and had the faith that that higher power were all in its hands. Mm -hmm. And And when you can give up the preference, that's what I was saying before, of your individuality and what you think you want and what you think you need and what you think should happen, which we all do as human beings, and what you think at all, right? If you can somehow realize that that is limited, it's a loop. You know, you've just been, we've all been just trained to be that person who thinks those things and who has those fears and who stops at that place where the person stops. Mm -hmm. But where the person stops, that power begins. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And even where the person is, that power is throughout. Mm -hmm. So sadhana is the ability to recognize and surrender to that power so that, as I said at the beginning, then your introduction becomes I am I
1: mm-hmm. or
0: I am that.
2: Mm-hmm. And where do you think that people get stuck in that? You know, when we, because you said that the human being gets to a point or the person gets to a point and then a lot of people stop at that point. Yeah. Of of stuck and dissatisfied and just can't get to the point of faith, which is also comes the grace. Yeah. So, why do you think, or how how would you guide someone, or you know, what's your ex- yeah. point on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're all we all experience being stuck as human beings. It's kind of the definition of a human being, and mm-hmm. everyone's doing their best as a human being to be happy or peaceful or easy. I mean, I think that's sort of what everyone wants and everyone works towards in everything that they do. And then you find out somehow that all your most sincere efforts, everything that you are doing to try and be happy and peaceful and content and easy and unworried... Somehow, it's not happening that way. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a conflict. You've got all the efforts that you're making from your human being, your human mind, to achieve what you're hoping for, which is happiness. But it's not happening that way. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a choice, right? So for a lot of people, if they don't ask anything more then they just try the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if this isn't making me happy, I'll try that. You know, if this partner isn't making me happy, I'll switch partners. If this ice cream isn't making me happy, I'll switch flavors. It's like that, right? Mm-hmm. If this job isn't making me happy, I'll switch jobs. So all of that is a kind of lateral change, right? Mm-hmm. You, so you can infinitely change anything you want on that lateral plane. But if you don't shift the dimension, Mm. then you're going to be infinitely trying to get your satisfaction through changing, changing, changing within the same plane. So now you've got to get a bit disillusioned Mm. with the thing that you're using to try and find your satisfaction. So now it's not about what you're doing for satisfaction, but what are you looking for satisfaction with? And that's your human mind. And nobody really knows what that is. What's the human mind? It's just a thing that has thoughts inside your head. So we say, well, there's a lot more to it than that. When it's awake, it's active. When it's active, It becomes agitated. When it becomes agitated, it looks for rest and peace through satisfying the senses, through satisfying desires, through satisfying needs, through satisfying your thinking, which happens for a temporary period of time, and then again you feel dissatisfied. So now what I would say is, okay, for a few moments, drop all of that. And it's possible. Many people say, but how am I going to drop all of that? I'm so busy and active and anxious and stressed Mm -hmm. and all of this. So Mm -hmm. then we say, no, but it's possible. You can two minutes or five minutes a day, you can just start to breathe, start to close your eyes and hear Mm -hmm. the information that there is a source of the mind and that that's peaceful.
2: So on the, like, when I'm thinking about on the practical level, there is, it's not necessarily something to do, you know, we breathe and start, but more shifting the perception and then taking the action. So when we think of someone that's coming to a spiritual path or feeling stuck on the spiritual path, and, you know, I know because I've been there, like, what's the first step? Like, what action should I take? And what would you say to that person?
0: Yeah. I mean, first you need to acknowledge that you're frustrated mm-hmm. and you're stuck.
2: Mm-hmm. The dis- that's a disillusionment.
0: You know, if mm-hmm. you, if you, and that it, that you want something different. That's up to you to make that decision. Like, okay, this isn't working for me, mm-hmm. and to bring in that word, that's a grace. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't. You think we think grace is like when rose petals are showering from heaven, but grace, you know, when you hear my whole story, you know, much of it wasn't easy. So, but it was all grace, mm-hmm. even though it was tough. Mm-hmm. There was a grace there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, first of all, to acknowledge your uneasiness. And to say, I want something different from this uneasiness, that's the beginning of grace. Mm. So, and you may not know what the next step is. That may be it. You may just say, this isn't enough. Something else needs to happen. Maybe six months go by, you know, and... Somehow you just can't shake that sense. There must be something more. There must be something more. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If that remains open with you, you'll meet someone or or some situation, spiritual situation, or something will happen that will lead you to a deeper place in yourself. Mm -hmm. And you yourself will know it. That's, and that, so, and all of it's the grace mm-hmm. unfolding. Wow,
2: beautiful. And when I ask you how would you define your sadhana, it's it's, it can, it's kind of like, I think you just actually answered the question before I asked it, but yeah. if you had to sum up your sadhana in a few sentences.
0: It's a good question, how would I sum up my sadhana in a few sentences? <laughs> I mean, your question makes me reflect on how much my sadhana has changed, because for years I just made so many efforts and meditated so many hours a day and did sadhana, you know. It's transformed. So I would say my sadhana is to honor myself as the knowing being that I am in every moment.
2: Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's actually a great point for us to hear you sing. Sure. It wasn't the plan, but there was no plan because we're totally spontaneous in the here and now. (laughs) (laughs) So it would be really lovely and for those of you who are listening it's a good chance to close your eyes and just let the sounds of her daya and her guitar transcend us to that place
0: thank you, I'll just sing um, a simple chant beautiful melodic chant and you can enjoy Mm. Thank you.
1: yeah <tose> Anna mm.
2: beautiful expression. You can just hear the love and you're just beaming outward. So thank you so, so much. It's really beautiful. And for our our last words, if you had to leave, if you could leave any of the curious yogis or spiritual seekers with any last words of wisdom, and I even think back to, you know, the promise you made to your eight-year-old self. And now here you are, with your whole as if life in between, that promise. And what words of wisdom could you leave us with?
0: Trust yourself. Trust that in you that knows that always knows and let it guide you home
2: Thank you so much (laughs) Thank you for this conversation, beautiful expression, extraordinary story (laughs) and it's worth sharing so thank you for blessing us with that inspiration and If uh, any of the listeners want to find you, where can they find you?
0: Well, you can, well, first of all, I just want to thank you (laughs) (laughs) for creating this. We wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for your inspiration, so thank you and um, blessings to the whole podcast, all your projects, um, and to all your beautiful listeners. So just wanted to say that, and what an honor it's been to be here. Um, And if you want to find me, you can go to my website. Uh, So it's www.hirdayameditation.com.
2: I'll definitely put it in the show notes. And also, what are you working on next? Is there any upcoming offerings you have that people can catch you on?
0: I do have a... I will be doing an intro of some sort, probably in June, so check the website for that. Um, I do have a a once-a-month group that meets for satsang, uh, which means wisdom gatherings, so you can check with me on that as well. Um, And I will announce that I'll be coming to Canada next summer in 2023, so... I'll be offering lots of stuff uh, on the West Coast as well, so maybe hope to meet some folks at that time too. Great. So just um, drop me a line, and I'll be happy to be in touch with you.
2: Great, and we'll get some hopefully some new subscribers on your newsletter list. Oh,
0: wonderful. <laughs> that would be come. great.
2: Great. Well, Amram Pam, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. And
2: with so much love and appreciation and just oneness and delight. Thank you for helping me inaugurate the Curious Yogi podcast.
0: It's been a pleasure, an honor, a delight, (laughs) and a joy.
2: (laughs) And until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Curious Yogi podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social... And of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.